Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we got David. Greetings. Greetings, Earthlings, also known as <laughs> Nightly. Freddy's not here this time. No Freddy. No Freddy this time. Uh, Freddy had car trouble. Um, he technically was the only one recording in the office, uh, so womp womp. But um, he'll be here on the next one, hopefully. He has legs. He could have walked. Anyway, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down, discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So let the lights sit back and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Hey. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to this show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, going ahead and just concluding our Back in Black month. What a fucking month. You know what I'm saying? It was. This was great. This was so much fun. I'm glad we were able to bring this back and just have a really good time with it. Um, But concluding things with with this month, it's been a blast. It's looking very forward to the next month as well. But this month has just been an absolute blast. I know a lot of people are wanting to have Black History of Horror back. So it's back, motherfuckers. We're going to do this shit probably every year. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. We should. We should. We should. We definitely should. But either way, this was an absolute blast. Before we actually talk about the film that we're going to be discussing, I want to give a big shout out to our patrons. And also, by the way, to our patrons, it's been absolutely incredible seeing everyone get their membership cards. David hasn't even gotten his yet. I haven't even got a mine yet. No. And it's, <laughs> that's mainly my bad because I didn't send it. Uh, I'm just okay. probably going to give it to you guys when I see you guys. That's but, totally fine. Um, I can't wait. Yes, I'm very excited. Uh, but like, I'm so happy seeing everyone get their cards and, and things like that. And also, shout out to Stu. Uh, and this is obviously a month after you told me this. But Stu, you, you messaged me today. Um, and we're recording this in advance, but you messaged me today telling me that you had a bad day and you had such a great time just even looking at your card. And that warms my heart. So, Stu, this whole episode right now is actually going to be dedicated to you, my friend. So, Hell yeah. we definitely enjoy your patronage and we enjoy you being a ghoulish knight specifically. So, thank you for all your support. But thank you. I want to give a special shout out to all of our patrons that we have. And we have a few new ones, actually. We have Ooh. Dylan, Sonia, Eric, Kelly, Brina, Daniel, David. Thank you, David. Hey, Carrie, yo. Stu, Brandon, Monica, Anna, Stephanie, Calvin, Drew, also known as The Silent Night, Matt, Andrew, Scary Stuff Podcast, Samantha, Patrick, uh, well, Taylor, Jessica, Sandy, Jared, Petra, Jasmine, Chantal, Rio, Mark, Jesse, Joe, Kaylee, Rob, Eric, Day, Freddie, I would say thank you, Freddie, but he ain't here. <laughs> my yeah, grandma, you, Yvonne, and my Mom, Lola. Yeah, fuck you, Freddie. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all so much for supporting the show and keeping the lights on and allowing us to even do things like this. So thank you so much. Honestly, an absolute blast. We got some 
insane news today, but I can't say the news that we mm-hmm. got today. Um, I'm just going to say, wait until next year or the year after that to figure out what the fuck just happened to us. <laughs> call back to this episode. That's right. Definitely call back to it. Um, so the movie that we are going to be discussing tonight, the one we'll be concluding this month with, is something I'm very excited to discuss. Bill Gunn's Ganja and Hess. First and foremost, thoughts. So this film is interesting to me. <laughs> I appreciate that it's a Dracula kin type movie. Mm-hmm. And I... The first act, I did not find myself enjoying this film all that much. Fair enough. But as we got more into it, and when I found myself grasping the idea of what this film was, I started appreciating it more. But I think I would have appreciated this film because of this one thought process I had throughout the entire experience watching it. I feel like, and I don't mean this to come off insulting, but I feel like this film would have the same effect if it was stripped of its dialogue. Because there was a mm. lot of moments where I was watching this and I'm like, I, I, I'm I, sure what they're trying to communicate through the dialogue is very profound and poetic, but it's just not sticking with me or it's too dense and thick for me to comprehend. And maybe that's a right. me thing. Um, and it's very um, stylistic in its editing, its cinematography, which I can very much appreciate. Um, but... It for me, it was all right. I did enjoy that it did become this not only a vampire story, but more of a how I interpret it as a Dracula story, right? Um, and it was a very cool twist to see it modernized in a seventies s um, approach. So that was very intriguing to me. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. Honestly, uh, I enjoy this movie. I'm not like madly in love with it with as a lot of other people, but I do find this movie to be extremely important. Um, I I have this very interesting uh, relationship with this movie just because I, I I enjoy it because of what it did for the times. Like this was right in the era of black exploitation, and it was nothing like any other black exploitation film that you would see, like um, Abby or um, like even like Superfly and shit like that. Like it yeah. was nothing quite like that. Like this definitely was a lot more poetic and a lot more auteur. Um, and like it, it took care of what shots it wanted to do and things like that. Um, there are times that I wish this film would have been remastered um mm-hmm. just because of the uh some of the set pieces and things like that and it gave it its charm and things like that but at the same time like it it does throw me off like hearing the uh crackling of the film in the background and things like that like it, it throws me off every now and then um just because I'm not used to that. Like I want, I want certain scenes to be like dead silent if it's supposed to be dead silent. Um so it was overall though, like I do enjoy this movie. Like I have so much fun with it. And, um, well, fun, fun is a different term. Like I wouldn't say this movie is like fun. Um, mm-hmm. but I do enjoy this movie and I, I do think it is filmed extremely miraculously. Um, there was a remake that I haven't seen by Spike Lee called The Sweet oh. Blood of Jesus. Okay. Um, 
and I, I heard it wasn't received too well, but Got at it. the same time, I don't know. I still kind of want to check it out just to see what a modern lens looks like on it. It would be really interesting to see that contrast. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think I, I, I think I should go back and, and maybe check that one out too. Cause I haven't seen that and I, I should see it. I should watch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, there are a lot of things that I do enjoy in this movie though. Like they're like the way the blood looks and, um, I love the editing. I really love the editing in this movie. Um, and I agree with you when it comes to the dialogue. The dialogue does feel a little dense. Um, Mm -hmm. and it it feels like you are kind of carving through the dialogue a bit, um, just to understand what's happening. And the way the movie opens with like Luther, it feels like it's supposed to be a documentary in the beginning. And, yeah, <laughs> and then it's definitely. just like straight to a movie. Cause like now I'm like curious, like who the fuck was Luther talking to in the beginning of this movie? <laughs> like yeah. who, who was asking them these questions? Um, so I don't know. I, I was curious about that kind of stuff as well. But hey, I mean, let's just jump straight into it. Cause I, I do want to dive in um, a little bit more because there's so many religious aspects in this movie. Like, yeah. Let's dive well. in. Let's do it. <sighs> Gajin Hess, directed by Bill Gunn, released April 20th, 1973, runtime of one hour and 52 minutes, a budget of $350,000, which is wow. Uh, no box office found, uh, and a rating of 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I agree with that score in some ways. Like, this movie is made very masterfully. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I didn't see the score when I was watching it or even knew about it up until this moment. But when I was watching it, I kept thinking to myself, I would expect this to have a very high score. And I think I'm maybe um, a little ignorant when it comes to the impact of when this came out and what was other films revolving around it. Right. Um, So at that point, when I was questioning what I thought about the film, I thought maybe I need to be a little more educated to really understand the the grasp of this movie. Right. Well, I mean, 90%, I sound like, I feel like I would expect to hear that score. Right. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I mean, I'm glad you even brought that up though, because in the 1970s, and this is something we can even discuss a little bit more in the post show. And the 1970s was just like, uh, nobody knew what to do with censorship at that time. So like, Mm -hmm. uh, Films like this weren't necessarily being made. Like, I mean, gosh, same year we we got Black Christmas. So, oh, and, wow. and I think a year after that we got Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, like, you know, it it, it definitely is something that is quite profound on the type of films that were being made for the horror genre. And then you had something like this that was very kind of in, a, in its way ahead of its time. Um, and it it. it didn't feel like it should be in the 1970s. I don't know. It, it, it's it's interesting. But anyway. It's, yeah. I just want to add to that really quickly. Yeah. Like a lot of the cinematography that we probably enjoyed uh, was, I would imagine, not seen as much as it is now because, right. you know, watching it through a lens of today, some of it could seem cheesy, but it may have, may have been just very innovative back then. Right. I completely agree. 
We open to the to text, quote, Dr. Hess Green, doctor of anthropology, doctor of geology, while studying the ancient black civilization of Metheria, was stabbed by a stranger three times, one for God the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Ghost. Stabbed by stabbed with a dagger, dece- diseased for, from that ancient culture, whereupon he, he uh, came addicted and he could not die, nor could he be killed. End quote. Title shot with these gothic Roman sculptures and shit. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty cool. Cut to a man speaking in tongues to a worshiping group of church folks. Uh, the preacher starts preaching, then to uh, then to him narrating that he's been a minister for a long time, commenting that he's he likes it. The church and the people being good to him, loving him, which pulls something out of him. His sermon becomes more and more energetic as he continues narrating that his official title is Reverend Luther Williams, and he also works as a chauffeur and stableman part-time to support his family. While he's chauffeuring, Luther mentions that he works for Dr. Hess Green, calling him an addict. Hess is in the back seat of the car with his hand on his head, shades in his hand with, with his eyes closed. Part one, victim. Right off the bat, I, you are getting something that just feels so poetic. Like it feels poetically drawn. Um, and you get the context of him being an addict and us not knowing what he's an addict of just yet. But, Mm -hmm. um, it, this moment feels like he's having withdrawals of something. Like the way he's holding his head, the way he's staring out the window, things like that. Like he just, he feels like he's trying to fight off a migraine. I had the same interpretation. Luther is uh, Luther commenting that he's not a criminal yet a victim. Cut to Hess standing over a man who's bleeding from a car crash. Luther mentioning that Hess is addicted to blood. They pull up. Th- they pull up to a building. A man named George uh, Meta looking at himself in the mirror. Luther lets out Hess. Um, uh, Luther lets out Hess. He thanks Luther, instructing him to park somewhere else. It's actually interesting that George's last name is Meta. Because um, <laughs> George is the director of the movie. That's oh, Bill really? Gunn. Yeah. So that's oh, Bill whoa. Gunn. And so it's funny because it, it is meta. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool to hear. That's actually really, really great. I don't know if that's like intentional, but I just, I just find that very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, George, oh, excuse me, George aiming the gun at the mirror has Hess meets with Jack Sargent, shaking his hand as they greet each other. Um, he shows Hess the way as Luther continues his narration. Quote, and Jesus said upon them, whoso eaten, or excuse me, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. And I will raise, I will raise him up at the last day for my flesh is meat indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me. And I and them, end quote. So pretty much, I just kind of picture this as uh, Hess being God in some mm-hmm. ways. Like he's 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 some type of prophet of Jesus or, or something. Like I, I like it, it's something religious about him, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting with the religious um, elements within this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I got mixed up in um, wondering if we're going through the light portion of religion or the dark portion right as i i was going back and forth between heaven and hell constantly mm. that actually makes a lot of sense though yeah because i i do i do see the duality between the two with his addiction to blood and things like that um 
and even his greed in some mm-hmm. ways, because like he has that lavish house, and even uh, Ganja asks him later, like, "Why do you have this house and you live alone?" Like, also, with the aspect of that, we'll get into later, but he can um, kind of sire any woman. It seems like, right? Yeah, and that's from lust and greed, right there. Yeah, absolutely. Sins. Yeah. They walk past this, a sad painting. Uh, Jack introducing Hess to George as his new assistant, his new assistant, while he uh, he smokes and glares. Hess, George, and Luther walk out of the museum. George showing his pride to uh, work for Hess. They get inside the car, driving off. And the music is even also like really like powerful in this movie mm-hmm. as well. George and Hess sit silently in the in the back seat. They make it they make it to their destination. Hess's butler Archie holds the door open for him. He instructs Archie to take George's bags to the south bedroom, asking about George's preference on what he, on what he would like to be called. They agree. Um, Hess letting him know that. Uh, that that he will see him inside. Archie and George head, head inside as Hess stays behind to to speak with Luther, and it's. He asked to be called Meta, by the way, if, if anybody is curious. Um, he okay. said he hates George, but I'm going to call him George. Inside, George and Hess are sitting in the living room, finishing up their meal. He starts telling Hess about a story, stopping when Archie comes back with more food, thanking Hess for the meal before sharing his, uh, his story about his director friend in Holland yelling the word cunt instead of cut. This was an interesting story. And I think this is what you mean by the dialogue. This you nailed it. This yeah. is exactly where I I question like what are you what are you guys talking about? Like why is this relevant? <laughs> right. Yeah. And 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 I don't understand what is the relevancy behind it. I think it was to show how cold Hess can be, maybe because Hess does not you know, give a shit about this story. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is a really good point because it does go back to Hess. A shot of him just kind of looking bored and almost reacting in the same way a viewer could, right? right? Just like, what? what is this? It's irrelevant to me. So that's a really good uh, point to make. Yeah. Explaining that people were so upset that they started throwing things at him. The person who's the interpreter was supposed to be there, but he was hung over from a party the night before. George, knowing uh, knowing since he, he was there in the hotel room, Archie brings more food. George thanks him. Hess impatiently glares at him as he continues showing his appreciation. Then he continues the story of the interpreter eventually coming downstairs, explaining that you can't say cut in Holland because you'll, you'll get it, get in a lot of trouble. Hess is not impressed. George thinking that to be a, a fantastic thing that he did. George changes the subject on believing in, des- in desire. And it was interesting because he was like, the whole thing, of George thinking that it, it was very impressive and all this whole other stuff and thinking it was fantastic and stuff like that. And finally, he talks about something that Hess wants to talk about. He brings up desire. Mm-hmm. And now Hess is just like, he has a whole thing about desire. Like he, he, he takes over the conversation when desire is brought up. And that I found that to be really, really interesting. Hess yeah. understands thinking that the idea of desire is very much a part of a cult, our culture, educating that the Metherians thought, uh, thought they had a desire for blood, not a need for it. Yet it was a need. George pings his glass, uh, chuckling, believing they are talking about hunger, him not truly knowing what hunger actually is. This is actually fascinating. Now, this was a very short portion of the conversation. Yeah, and I feel like it's the only relevant part. Right. Like, if this felt so 
nourishing this little this little section of them talking for 30 seconds about hunger and desire. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting because prior to me knowing that this is a a vampire story, right? Um, I, you know, I was wondering if they were speaking on race and ancestry, and not knowing, like, thinking that um, my struggles don't compare to those of my ancestors. So I don't really know about hunger. Right. Um, so I think it could be maybe interpreted that way as well. I agree. No, it, it is quite possible for sure. Fade to an African woman singing and chanting as Hess rubs on a human bone, fading to the to uh, to the woman walking through a field, and Jack greeting Hess again with a mask on the, on this time. George also uh, sporting the mask. The dreamlike sequence has a woman reaching out, uh, reaching out to Hess in a field. The uh, the ground of oh, excuse me, I don't know what I was trying to say there. Uh, the ground of the woman continuing their excuse me. I don't know what the hell I was trying to say. I think I was trying to say that the woman kept wa- kept walking as the music became faster and more reverberated. I think that's what I was trying to say, but I don't know. I, I was probably high. Um, just kidding. <laughs> I was not high. Um, oh, has- Jesus, as they say in the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm so high <laughs> off Jesus right now. <laughs> Fucking Luther. <laughs> has jokes up from his sleep. Um, looking around for a moment rubbing, before rubbing his eyes. He heads out calling for George. George dangles from a tree next to a noose. This was fucking interesting as fuck. Yeah, this <laughs> really threw me off and I didn't... I, I At this point, I felt like I had missed something and I was wondering, am I just, am I just not keeping up with the pace? Like, what is going on here? Dude, uh, this was so fascinating. Like, the... the, the so the way I interpreted it was the fact that George always wanted to kill himself. Yeah. And I don't know the reasoning behind why. And I don't know if he knows what Hess actually is. Um and he wanted to give himself to Hess. I don't know. I don't I don't I truly deeply do not know um what the reasons behind all of this was because it, it fuck, I don't know. This yeah. was just such a fascinating uh, chat that they had. <laughs> I went back and forth a lot. Initially, when I saw this, I thought this man is suicidal and um, I can't really grasp why. Maybe we'll find out. Right. Then, as we, as I'm towards the middle of the film, I'm thinking, did Meta know what Hess was and was trying to seek him out and destroy him? And then, like, now that I've finished the film, I'm wondering, like you just said, was he trying to seek him out and be turned and kind of like hint at him that he wants to be turned? It was, it was very confusing. Um, especially with him, which we'll get to later, he attacks him. Right. Yeah. Hess standing underneath the noose as George comments that he's drunk. This was actually also really beautifully shot. Um, Hess jokes that he isn't drunk enough to jump out of the tree. George asks him to not try and impress him. Hess asking if there's anything he can do. He tells Hess not to bullshit him. Hess agrees as George continues to, to dangle, asking for his drink on the ground. He picks it up. George accusing him for putting something inside of his drink. Hess tries to hand it to him. George continuing to yell, asking him what's, what's inside of his drink. Hess claims that he removed a few dead ants, asking if 
that's okay. George claims that he's neurotic, um, has wanting clarification. He tells Hess that uh, it has nothing to do with him, asking for his drink. Hess then reminds him that he's uh, in his tree and and that is his rope, giving police the right to invade his property, asking embarrassing questions. George mentions that he wanted to throw himself into his lake, but he was afraid of drowning. He acknowledges that George's horror outweighs his manners. George, not wanting to involve him, has, has scoffs, sharing that he's the only black person on the block. This causes George to laugh, but has continues that if another black man comes around, the police will drag him out for questioning, pleading for him to come out of the tree. George George agrees by handing him his drink. Inside the house, George explains that he's gotten this idea about suicide, trying it a long time ago, explaining the story about him being inside his kitchen, sitting in sitting on his floor in his New York apartment, remembering remembering having a schizophrenic idea because he was a victim on one hand, and on the other, he was a murderer. So fascinating because of uh, technically in in um, Christian religion. Suicide technically is a sin. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it's so fascinating that he has that context behind it. Yeah, I think this is a poetic statement that actually lands and is easy to comprehend, but it, it there's such sadness in what oh he's saying. Oh my gosh, it, it's drowned in it. it it's such a yeah. depressing scene. And, and all you can do is just feel pure empathy for him. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because we don't know what he's going through. It's just that's all we felt. <laughs> exactly. Understanding that it's complicated, but that he, uh, that's what he want. Uh, that's what he was experiencing. Continuing that the victim side did not want to die. Yanking uh, yanking his hair and doing motion. Uh, yanking his hair and motioning his hand toward his neck. That the murderer side was in the kitchen. Excuse me, knife to his neck, but he couldn't do it. Comparing it to a cat and mouse game, the murderer letting the victim go. Man. Fate to George attacking Hess in their bed or on his bed. Um, and, uh, and rest, and they wrestle each other to, to the ground. He grabs a sharp human bone, stabbing him. He jumps on the bed, sobbing, the rain pattering outside the window. Cut to George typing on a typewriter, sharply exhaling before reading what he typed. Before I read that, um, do you think this was real? Like, do this you whole think, moment? Yeah, do you think he actually attacked and stabbed Hess? You know, I did up until you asked me that question. I <laughs> it was very. I was having a lot of trouble trying to grasp what was going on. Uh, it was very drawing for me. But what I interpreted was that he attacked him. I found it very like peculiar that he. Use what looked like a wooden stake or like a wooden pin. Yeah, so I think it was it the human me, bone. That's what it was. Yeah, I think it was a human bone. Yeah, got it. Okay, because I don't know if um, it was trying to be akin to like vampire lore and using the stake. Maybe it's trying to uh, exhibit something from different cultures instead. But I thought it at I saw it as he was attacked and that. Hess is actually immortal and there's only something specific that can kill him. Right. Um, and I think that may when we get to the point where Hess realizes what's happened and looks in the mirror um, I thought that was his his first encounter in something like this. His first encounter being quote unquote killed and yeah. realizing that he is immortal. That also makes sense. Um and it, it could, it could possibly 
be that this did really happen, right? Um, yeah. Because, like, I mean, I'm thinking of, of Midnight Mass. Um, mm-hmm. And we're not going to spoil we're not going to spoil Midnight Mass, so don't, no worries, everyone. But um, that was the first thing that popped into my head, um, and it reminded me of Monsignor Pruitt. Um, so, like, I I wonder if this was, like, Hess's awakening, because we don't see a bloodlust until after this. Mm-hmm. And it's, exactly. like, a constant bloodlust. Like, he, he definitely, he needs it. Yeah, so, because we saw that starting... After this scene, I had wondered if Meta was actually a vampire. Mm. And through killing Hess, created this link or this transfer, allowing Meta to finally move on by ending his life, which mm-hmm. he will do. Um, and I was wondering if it's something you had to pass on. Um, and that was another theory I had when Hess wakes up and looks in the mirror and is confused by the there not being any wound on him um more so like did i dream that and but i think as i continue to watch the film um it had led me to believe that hess was a bloodsucker the whole time yeah that also makes a lot of sense as well um <laughs> but i i wonder though because in the beginning of the movie it did have that excerpt saying that he uh hess was stabbed three times and I think that was what created his lust for blood or turned him into a vampire. Cause he was stabbed three times when he was visiting them, uh, in uh, visiting Metheria. Interesting. Yeah. Because from what I understand in vampire lore is you can bite someone and suck their right. blood, but that doesn't necessarily turn them. You yeah. most in throughout most lore, you would have to consume vampire blood and die with it in your system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Maybe maybe that moment where he was supposed to die, either or maybe someone he gave did him- die, and that's yeah. how he sprung back up. Yeah, fucking interesting. This is this is interesting. Um, uh, but uh, he says on the typewriter, "Quote to the black male children: philosophy is a prison. It disregards the uncustomary things about you. The result of individual thoughts is actionable only to itself. There is a dreadful need in a man to teach." It destroys the pure instinct to learn. The navigator learns from the stars. The stars teach nothing. The sun opens the mind and sheds light on the flowers. The eyes shame the pages of any book. Gesture destroys concept. Involvement mortifies vanity. You are the the despised of the earth. That is as if you were water in the desert. To be adored on this planet is to be a symbol of success, and you must not succeed on any terms because life is endless. You are as nameless as a flower. You are the child of Venus, and her natural affection is lust. She would touch your belly with her tongue, but you must not suffer in it, for love is all there is, and you are cannon fodder in its defense. What a fucking goddamn... But he crumbles the page. Taking a bath <laughs> as the southern blues plays throughout the room, he brushes his teeth um, while looking at himself in a tiny mirror. Afterwards, splashing water over his head and face, taking the gun on the side of the tub, staring into the barrel before getting out of the tub. He sighs, kneeling on the ground, putting the gun toward his chest. Heavy breaths as he stares at himself in the mirror. Meanwhile, Hess is sitting on the bed, checking himself for any wounds on, on his chest. 
George shoots himself, the neon red liquid creeping from underneath him. Hess bursts into the bathroom, dialing a number on the phone. The flashes of Jesus are just like super interesting here too. Yeah. <laughs> it's so intrigu- intriguing. Hess frantically kneels down, sucking and licking the blood off the tile. Cut to Hess walking in a field, flashes of a cross floating in, the, in his bathtub. He kneels and prays in the field. And the prayer just felt like super gothic. Like mm-hmm. it, it was super interesting. Um, and I didn't write any other prayer down, but it, it just felt like and sounded really gothic. After completing his prayer, he screams. Part two, survival. Hess is getting his blood drawn as he lies on 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 a bed smoking a cigarette. She leaves the, uh, the nurse leaves out of the room. He puts his sweater back on, lighting a paper and throwing it in a garbage can. It immediately explodes. I don't know what the fuck that what that was about, but yeah, me either. I, I know the reason why he did it, but like I didn't know how, how, like how did it how, how did it explode? Like, I was I was <laughs> yeah. so confused. I was like, how'd you, I was wait, what? <laughs> the, the nurse and the doctor run back into the room as Hess walks out, taking a supply of blood from the fridge and placing them into his bag, walking out onto the street as if nothing happened. And I love the way that the bus passes by because it says Liberty on the back. And it feels mm. just like a fascinating metaphor. Like he seems <laughs> liberated in this point yeah. in time. An old woman and a young teen are holding hands as she is telling him a story. She mentions a whole bunch of weird shit about humming and birds and shit, picking up their tune and humming it back. She points out, um, she points out Hess telling the young teen Enrico that his father is there. And this is where we kind of find out that Enrico studies abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, they go, which is to, very interesting that, yeah. um, I mean, again, I kind of talk about relevancy and wondering why they showed this. Um, but I guess it's just to show how, like, how cultured he was. And I think to me, what I rationalized was like having that link to being as cultured as Dracula was, for example. Right. Like this man is proficient in French, has a, a son that he's uh, putting through school and educating. I don't know. It made right. it feel more Dracula-esque to me. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Like the way the way that I even picture it as well is uh, kind of like a, a slap in the face for black exploitation films. Um, That's what I thought too. Yeah. Just to show that, like, no, yeah, no, black people are smart too. Like black people are extremely educated as well. And like this being in the 1970s, like that's that's what it felt like. It felt like it was more of like, look how smart black people are, and now things like this are considered like backhanded compliments and um you know where people are just like well, like wow he doesn't sound black he doesn't seem black and it's just mm-hmm. like no this is blackness you know and, and it's it's interesting um, they go up to each other, Hess mentioning that he's surprised because no one told him that he was coming. They shake hands. Hess asking about him in school and Re- and Rico tells him it's fi- tells him it's fine. They continue their conversation in French. He hands his, his dad a pocket knife, showing him, showing it to him as they continue their conversation in French. I do appreciate the fact that they do not provide context on what they're saying. Yeah, like, me too. No closed captioning. It just says speaks in French. And that's mm-hmm. great. 
They switch their conversation back to English, asking his son if he's gotten anything to drink. He hasn't, asking uh, for some ginger ale. Hess leaves the party alone, heading back into his home, an odd statue sitting at the base of the window as he walks in. He pours himself a glass of blood in the sink, throwing it back. Cut to him um, being drawn. It's actually really smart that he poured it in the sink, just so he could just yeah. wash the blood away when he's done. That was yeah. actually really smart. <laughs> Cut to him being passed. Uh, dr- Cut to him uh, driving past uh, cemetery fields outside of the car. Hess walks inside inside somewhere. A pimp is speaking to a woman, telling him that she'll do it. He wonders when she claims today. She promises that she um, she'll make an, a lot of money today. A group of men are talking, drinking, and smoking. Hess walking through them. They stop their chatter for a moment until he passes. The woman tells the pimp that she is going to help him. She's going to help him help him today. He asks her uh, when today, claiming that t- that his time is money. So pimp shit this also seemed like another like callback to black exploitation in general and like what was happening in the era because you had shit like this like superfly uh was a pimp i don't even know when superfly was fucking made um now i'm curious because i think it was made in the 70s uh because yeah 1972 so there you go that makes a lot of sense because superfly he was a fucking pimp <laughs> she sighs exclaiming soon Hess leaves out of the room a man claiming that he's cool and that um, that he checked him another jo- another joker that he could have a gun uh, tied to his leg and uh, they called it something else like it was slang for for a gun and I can't remember what they called it but yeah. it was it was yeah. something else he goes inside the bar, staring at the woman with the pimp. She catches his gaze, telling the pimp that she'll get get the money soon. He motion he mentions that she's been saying saying that for the past four hours. She comments that nobody has been been in there. He hands her something, demanding her to move it. The woman goes up to Hess, sitting in a booth alone. He stares at her for a moment as she paces back and forth before asking if he knows a woman named Dolores Kincaid. He doesn't. The pimp watches them through the reflection of the mirror as the woman continues trying to make her move. She claims that he looks like her boyfriend before she moved to Seattle, knowing that she saw she saw him with her once at the Apollo and he looks just like him. She begins sharing the story about a child screaming in the in the apartment next door to her. Hess is not interested. He demands her to just sit down. He's like, would you just sit down? Like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, skip all of this. Like, I already know who you are. I know what you want, and I'm gonna give it to you. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's just like, sit down, just sit down. They're sitting on the on a bed. She undoes his tie, then takes off her wig to get a little bit more comfortable. That shit was hilarious when she took her wig off, revealing her natural fro before um, sitting next to Hess. He rubs her back for a moment. She tries to kiss him, but he stops her and then allows her. She gets off of the bed, the pimp stabbing him in the side. Hess throws the pimp off of him. The pimp continues to stab him as the woman shrieks for him to kill Hess. Hess jumps back on him, chasing him down the hall and continuing to fight him. The woman takes a gun, shooting Hess. He drags her into, into a room biting her to death. Hess pierces their skin, allowing the blood to spill from their neck into the floor. Images of George with his mask on, moving through the hallway past Jack with his mask on as well. Hess stumbles to the toilet, retching as the sound of laughter plagues his sanity. Wow. This whole whole thing, absolutely amazing. Like, uh, god damn it. Uh, this was a really, really enthralling scene. <laughs> yeah, it definitely uh, uh, turns it up a couple notches because it's very sudden and you see how capable he is, how powerful he is, really. Absolutely. 100%. Part three, letting go. 
Hess is ripping grass outside. George's wife, Ganja, calls him from a payphone. He answers the phone. She asks if her husband is there. He doesn't, he doesn't know who she's talking about. <laughs> I love how he's like, He's like, ma'am, I don't even know who your husband is. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) She answers that George is her husband and she wants to speak with him, demanding to put him on the phone. He's silent, telling her that he's not there, hanging up the phone. She calls him back, has sighs and answers the phone. George's wife explains that she called the museum and they said he was there, demanding for him to put George on the phone. Hess mentions that he had he's had a difficult morning. She um, she argues that she had a difficult six months. He shares <laughs> that it is impossible to talk to George because he's disappeared. She doesn't understand, telling him that he'll be back. Sharon that she's j- uh, just got off from she just got in from Amsterdam, but she doesn't have enough money for a decent hotel. Ganja asks if she's uh, could. Uh, Ganja asks if she could stay there for a few days since her husband already has a room there. Hess asks where she she is and he'll send over a limo. She shares her location, noting that the driver can't miss her because she's valuable. (laughs) She's expensive, I think that's what she said. Ganja is her first initial appearance in this film is phenomenal. She is so ruthlessly rude that she just does not give a fuck. Yeah. It's very interesting because it comes off really strong that you wouldn't expect her to have... You wouldn't ex- expect the movie to peel back her layers. Yes, absolutely. I 100% agree with that, actually. Yeah. Ganja drives up to Hess's estate. The driver opens the door for her. She gets out of the car, glaring at Hess from, from the door. She slams the door shut. Hess approaches her. She walks past him, commanding him to uh, tell his boss that she's there. He shares who he is. She stops, turning around and laughing from embarrassment. She asks uh, where she could get changed um, since she hasn't changed her clothes since Amsterdam. In fresh clothes, she walks down the stairs, looking around for Hess. He's lying on the floor in the living room reading a book. She comes inside the room, joining him. He makes them both a drink. They cheers. She uh, she sits across the room, sharing a story about her friend, who's a ballet dancer. What's up with her and George sharing fucking stories that this man don't care about? <laughs> <laughs> Sharon that he went to Mexico to dance at the Palace of Fine Arts, claiming that he he came up with um, an ingenious plan for hiding his weed and getting it through customs. She laughs that it, it takes an edgy person to come up with that, asking if he thinks so as well. Reminiscent of George, Hess uh, throws his drink back, looking around his table for uh, with the African paraphernalia. Ganja uh, puts her glass down and goes over to Hess, grabbing his hand. She pulls him off, off the couch. Ca- she pulls him off the couch and sits next to him onto the floor. He lies down and she begins to kiss him. Damn, first day? I know, it, right? And you're married? And you're right. trying to figure out where your husband is? <laughs> <laughs> no, this reminds me of what you said um, earlier is that he may have the power to sire women. Yeah. that's And this is where I started thinking more and more of that because, you know, she was out here looking for her husband. Right. Yeah, and yeah. very adamant about looking for her husband. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't seem like she wanted to cheat on her husband at that time. She was just, like, kind of upset, like, yo. Or not even upset, like, concerned. Like, where's my husband? You so, know, there's these moments where Hess meets women, and uh, sometimes there's just a long, silent stare. And I'm wondering right. if he's, like, working in compulsion to, like, ooh, seduce them inside of them. Yeah. 
Yeah, quite possibly. She says something that's intelligible um, and starts kissing him again. Hess wakes up next to her, running out of the room and, and, and into the attic. He quickly walks up the ladder, shutting the door. Ganja runs out of the room, calling out and calling out frantically looking for him. While uh, with sweat beating from his skin, he drinks the velvet liquid in bliss as he accepts every last drop. Ganja eventually finds Hess in the attic, laid out on the bed up um, laid out on the bed up there. She kneels next to him, running her finger down, down his chest. He unbuttons her, um, her shirt, rubbing his hand on her chest. They begin to passionately kiss and, and do a whole lot more than that. But what the mm-hmm. hell was she doing with her hands? She was like, her hands were going all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> they sleep after everything is said and done. Next day, Ganja is sniffing a flower while they are while they are having bre- breakfast, admiring Hess. Archie comes over to light Hess's cigarette. She asks him if he can take a message from our sponsors. And we're back. She actually asks Hess, why does he live in a house this size alone? It's a great question. But Hess finds this question to be impolite. She chuckles that they are the only questions worth asking. This was interesting. The impolite questions and her her bluntness behind the questions. So fascinating on how she's characterized. Why do you think she continued to persist with the difficult questions? I think the reason why is mainly because of the fact that she doesn't completely trust him. Mm, And I I think, I think she finds him attractive and she's smitten by him. And I think that makes her uncomfortable as well. The fact that she's so attracted to this man and she's like, why? Like, what, Mm. what is with you? Something has to be wrong. So she is being compelled and it's her, her own, inner self is questioning it and that you see it reflected here then i do yeah i very much do um and i see it even reflected towards archie as well because like archie she's extremely rude to archie Mm -hmm. and i felt so bad for archie like me too man like poor archie (laughs) damn he wonders what she wants now she boldly answers money asking if there's anything else. Archie breaks the tension, offering fresh coffee. She irritatedly answers that she uh, she wouldn't, but Hess would. Archie fetches it. Ganja continuing to stare at, um, at Hess until Archie comes back. She asks if he feels overworked. He scoffs that he doesn't. Hess comments once again, another impolite question. She reiterates that she knows more about someone than than she did before. He asks, um, what do they know about her besides asking impolite questions? Good question. She agrees, asking what is there to know about her. She rudely asks Archie to fetch her grape jelly and hominy grits, condescending him for possibly not knowing what grits are, then asking for an extension cord for her record player. He clarifies. She sarcastically says it back to him, asking for his understanding, counting on her her finger the three things that she wants him to fetch for her. He he acknowledges she condescendingly thanks him. No reason to be rude to that poor man. Come on. I agree. Ganja asks how long um, has, has he been there? He answers that he came with the house. Placing a bowl of fruit on the table, she slams on the table on where she where she would like for him to put it. He drops a peach. She giggles that he blew his peach. <laughs> I fucking hate I her. <laughs> Wait, can you explain the reference to me? Because I didn't understand this. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me look it up. Lay it I, on I, me. 
I, <laughs> I think it's dirty. Um, I think it's supposed to be a dirty. Uh, I thought thing. it was dirty too. Um, let me see. Uh, yep, it's dirty. Uh, it means to eat someone's booty. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it was. <laughs> Got it. Thank you for teaching me. Of course. Archie agrees that it was quite humorous. And he was like, haha, madam, it was quite humorous, wasn't it? <laughs> While walking away, she stops laughing. And I was like, she's mean, dog. <laughs> yeah, she is. She asks us if red is his favorite color, sharing that she uh, wore white because she wore black when she got there, thinking that that he uh, he might like it. Um, but if it... Um, but if he likes red, she will wear that instead. He claims to like red while opening a cherry. The uh, She giggles that it looks like blood while putting her finger inside the pit of the cherry, sucking on the juices from her fingers as Hassan eating, is eating the rest of the cherry. Ganja is looking out at the scenery, overhearing Hassan Luther conversing and laughing. She goes over the balcony to look over, um, over at them. Luther greets her and bids adieu to Hess. Hess stares at her for a moment before hopping inside of his car. She asks um, what, what he would like for dinner. He mentions for her to, to cook whatever she does best. But uh, she shakes her head wanting him for wanting him to give her a suggestion but it doesn't matter to him as long as it doesn't have a lot of grease in it she asks if she heard heard him say that he doesn't believe in marriage he claims that he didn't say that St- um, starting his car and is about to drive but st- um, stopping to continue looking at her, um, looking down at him, then drives away. Conscious face shifting to a scowl as he c- gets further out of the driveway. Cut to Hess in a bustling city, looking at a woman holding a baby in her arms. Her, or, her, uh, he approaches her. They, uh, their conversation not audible, but whatever he's saying, she is digging the fuck out of it because she invites <laughs> him back inside of her house. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, with the, ba- with the baby, yep. this scene was also like. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, Archie comes back to the estate, struggling to grab groceries out of the car. Ganja forcing him to help her out of the car while he's struggling with these goddamn groceries. She walks in front of mm-hmm. him, allowing the door to close behind her on Archie. Messed up. I genuinely do not understand the reasoning behind her being so rude to him. Yeah, I don't either. Like, maybe it's like her taste of getting some type of. I don't know, like wealth, wealth exactly, and and her yeah. flexing that towards Archie, like, haha, I'm a guest in his house, and and something. I, if I was Hess, I would be like, yo, what the fuck? Like, I think it's what she's always wanted. She explains that later on that she's, or maybe she already has that she just that she wants money, money, right? And she thinks, what else would you need? And maybe she's always desired to be so wealthy that she can just order people around, probably. Yeah. Well, I don't like it. They're putting away groceries. Ganja mentioning that they forgot the wine. He scoffs that Hess uh, keeps good wine in the cellar. She asks where it is. Archie thinking that they should, uh, they should wait until he returns. Hess not knowing, not allowing anyone into the cellar. The only time he's allowed to go is with Hess. She insists that she needs the wine, mentioning that they, that, um, that if he tells her where the cellar is, she won't share that he was the one who told her. Um, is uh, what the fuck was I trying to say here? <laughs> He's about <laughs> to reason with her, um, but she continues that she needs the wine, asking if she makes uh, her, 
if she makes herself clear. He agrees. Motioning for the door, she holds the door for the for the both of them. She descends into the cellar with a flashlight, using all her might to open the pantry door. She goes through the mini jars, pulling open an open another door where she spots her dead husband staring back at her in a freezer. She lets out a blood-curdling scream. Meanwhile, Hess is fucking enjoying himself because he's sitting on the <laughs> bed across from this dead woman with uh, with blood on her sheets. Oh my god. And the What I baby, really appreciate, yeah, the baby's crying, but I really <sighs> appreciate here that the way she's laid out dead is very much like these religious paintings we've been seeing. That is very true. Yeah. Very true. And really good eye on that. Cause Thank I did you. not, I did not catch that right away. Yeah. Um, Hess gets up, tucking in his shirt, leaving the presumably dead woman and crying, and crying child. Just fucking left him. Right. God, he, he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. He's back at his estate, sitting across from Ganja at the dinner table. She stares at him without saying a word. He apologizes, complimenting her effort for the dinner. She monotonically comments that Archie cooked because she couldn't get it together. He asks if she's all right, but she becomes a bit more flustered, reiterating that she couldn't get it together. He begins to eat dinner, reading the paper at the same time. He comments that the soup is really good. She mentions that she knows that he killed her husband, placing his body in the freezer of the, of his basement. Archie comes into comes into the room, has asked him uh, to clear the plates for them, claiming that they are no longer hungry. He slowly takes Ganja's plate. She immediately gets up from the table and walks away. Has whips the heat from uh, from his face um, as as she continues walking back and uh, back and forth, ripping shit in the living room. <laughs> he yeah. drinks his wine, clinking the glass for Archie to pour him some more. She comes back into the table, hands on her hips, um, waiting for for uh, has to explain himself. This is a very interesting reaction to find out that your husband just like died. This like, was further evidence for me to believe that she's been compulsed. Yeah, and that she's sired by him. I agree. Yeah, I definitely yeah. agree. He continues his silent treatment. She she has uh, a seat across from him. Uh, Ganja shares that she was about 10 or 12. Her favorite time of the year was winter because of the snow. Claiming that uh, claiming to make the best snowballs in Boston and winning all her snowball fights. That explains why she's so fucking blunt and rude. <laughs> Not to say that rude people live in Boston, but oh, I thought you were talking about snowball fights. Yeah, uh, probably snowball <laughs> fights, yeah. But uh, Bostonians definitely got the bluntness to them, and I respect <laughs> that. But on on this particular day, snowballs were flying, and that being all you can feel. Um, some hitting hard and soft, and others hitting soft. Adding that she got home around six thirty or seven, fighting since three p.m. She continues that her mother asked her where she was, answering that she was having a tremendous snowball fight, beating everybody and everybody beating her, calling it a tremendous day. Her mother slaps her across the face, asking the question again, explaining that someone, someone, uh. Explaining that someone said that Ganja was being chased by a boy. Ganja's voice is becoming more shaky as she continues telling her her mom, um, or her story about her mom, that they were all, all being chased um, by each other. Her mom calling her a liar and a slut. But she swears to her mother that she was having a snowball fight. Her mother not believing her, never believed her, as if she was a disease. She shares that she she has a brother 10 years older than her and a sister 8 years older than her as well. 
She takes this as her being considered an accident. Thinking that that day she decided she was a disease, she was going to give her mother a full case of it, trying to understand the reason reason possibly being that she was hurt by her, working so hard for her mother to say that she loves her and that she was a wonderful girl. But her mother could could never say that. The only thing that she could only compliment Ganja on was her looks. That being the reason why she loathed her, loathed her beauty because her mother found it appealing. Concluding that day, she decided decided um, that she will provide for herself doing what she had to had to be done and take whatever steps had to be taken this may explain why she wants money so bad yeah so Cuts to Ganja laughing and running around the estate. Hess chasing chasing and softly throwing things at her both both out of breath as the um he has a seat she posts up next to him feeding him some fruits jump to them get, now getting married what the fuck? Hell this yeah. is actually super interesting because in the background you have the Queen of Metheria there as well. Mm. Yeah. Damn. She's in the background watching on the other side of the pool. It's absolutely Good. fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Luther officiates the wedding. All these random ass people around that we've literally have never seen, um, except for one, maybe Jack. I, I don't know. The, He's white. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Later that night, Ganja and Hess pull out George's wrapped uh, wrapped body from the estate. They are sitting in bed. Hess asking if she thinks uh, he's psychotic. She answers, of course. <laughs> what? <laughs> he questions um, if that frightens her. She shakes her head, claiming that everybody is into something, commenting that he's into horror movies and she can dig it. Fuck yeah, man. Him being the first <laughs> to know if uh, if it's too much for her. She chuckles that she should follow nature and celebrate the celebrate the divine art. He laughs as he continues flirting for for them. Um, he laughs as she can as she continues flirting for them to knock boots. Woo wee! Asking for him, for him to kiss her, he does so, holding her, commenting that he wants her to live forever. She laughs. She laughs at the that the way he's acting makes it seem like she will live forever. In a more serious tone, he says it again before passionately kissing her. Shout out to the African chants, though. Like, those were so creepy. Like, the yeah. way that they would, like, reverberate and slow down and then speed up. Like, they were so unsettling. You know, I was trying to catch for a while throughout the film, too, if it only played when he had bloodlust. But I don't mm. think it lined up that way. Yeah, I don't know. Now, the interesting thing about this movie as well, Gajin Hess uh, actually has multiple names. Um, and one of the names that that I love the most is uh, Blood Couple. Oh. But, yeah. And that, that was the name that it was first presented as. It was presented as Blood Couple. Um, and then the name was changed. Um, to Ganja and Hess. Uh, and I think it was due to studio, but it, it was, I want to say it. it has like eight names or something crazy like that. And, and now I'm curious because now I, I, I got to look it up because, um, it is super interesting. Uh, did, did is I it just that it? it has different names in different regions? Uh, maybe. Got it. Because I like Blood Couple, uh, Blood Couple way better. Yeah, Blood Couple is a fantastic fucking name for this. I feel like that definitely sets the proper expectations. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Actually, I guess the Blood Couple was uh, the recut version. So the recut oh. version is called Blood Couple, and Got the it. version that we watched was just Gotcha has. Um, so super interesting. 
really, really fascinating stuff. But yeah, I can't find the other titles for some reason. I could have sworn they were on their Wikipedia page, but I couldn't find them. So whatever. It is what it is. Um, but let's continue. Transition to Hess naked, but naked, mind you. Like my dude mm-hmm. is like there's a lot of nudity naked. in this movie. <laughs> there's there's a lot of nudity in this movie. Um shout out to the dude at the end running. <laughs> kneeling over Ganja's still body blood staining the sheets he moves behind the lamp continuing to stare at her flashes of Ganja um, running on a grass field falling to the ground flashes continue of her trying to do her hair and skin routine but she keeps holding her head almost as if she has a headache just like uh, Hess did inside the car Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I really like the touching of her neck as well in the scene kind of like as if she got bit on the neck Really, yeah. really enjoy that. Back to um, back to her outside, consuming water from a pond um, or the ground. I don't know. She is walking with Hess outside, sharing that she had a strange dream of him murdering her. As they continue to walk, she is looking up at the trees and sky as Hess guides their way. He comments that the only perversions that can be condemned are those of others, and that he will persist and survive without God's uh, God's or society's sanction, claiming that he will uh, not be tortured, punished, or guilty. Finishing his ritual while handing Ganja flowers, he chants, quote, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for thee. Preserve the body and should for everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for thee, and be thankful, end quote. He raises the bone over his head, driving it down into Ganja. The camera spins and falls to the ground. Cut to Ganja handing a, hand, having a hard time sleeping while Hez floats through through an underground elevator into the room with a glass of water. He hands her uh, he hands her a pill, telling her to take it and it will help her sleep. Next, he hands her a glass of blood. Ganja looking more manic. She takes it, chugging the liquid crimson down, gazing at at him while doing so. She hands it back to him, leaning back on on the bed, then asking him, "What did she just drink?" <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't answer, sharing that he's he's going to be gone for a while, and he won't back won't be back until this until the evening. Adding that they are having a guest for dinner, thinking she needs a little distraction. He rubs her head, wanting her f- uh, to understand that he won't allow anything to happen to her. Fade to them having dinner with their dinner guest. She and it looks like Luther at first, but it was just some random dude. Mm-hmm. She asks him um, how he how he knows Hess. He shares that Hess volunteered um, of. Of his, uh, I I don't know some some thing some charity thing that he was doing. Um, she spins a jewel on the table as she continues questioning him. He shares all the different types of glasses that they have have until he's completely entranced with the way she looks. The guest takes off her clothes, feeding her a beverage. So like, Hess just literally just had this dude come over here so he she could just be like cuckold, like. <laughs> But, yeah, it seems it seems like um, they only feed on those of the opposite sex, and it seems like earlier with Meta, it was more so like, oh, it's just it's right in front of me, I can't resist. Right. Also, homeboy's naked, so. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. <laughs> and it's so interesting too that with this particular scene, we can tell that this seems like her doing her trance thing. Right. And like her, her being more compelling for him and things like that. So like, it it feels like she definitely is using her vampiric powers at this point in time. Yeah. 
She rubs his gross-ass finger feet, putting his foot <laughs> on her face. Gaja continues caressing his body, rubbing his nipples and shit. They, are, they share a passionate kiss of falling on the ground, continuing their passionate hugging. We'll, we'll call it that. Passionate um, hugging. Why, why is there so much glitter on their body, though? I it's think like, he was trying to emanate sweat. Okay. Maybe yeah. you're right, because it was so much glitter. Yeah. <laughs> well, a she lot was, of glitter. While she was running her tongue back, uh, uh, while she was running her tongue on his back, three bloody scratches are on the side of his back. The, uh, the scene shifting to her holding a flower, blood trickling from her mouth, a painting also crying blood. But she continues licking the blood, shifting back and forth to her screaming for, from her transition. Back to his body completely covered in blood, she cries over his over his bed, mouthing for Hess to help her as she as he stares at her from the doorway. She runs out. He goes inside, closing the door. Cut to Ganja and Hess walking the guest body through a field, sitting it down. The man starts breathing. She reaches. She reaches. For him, commenting that he's still alive, he tells her. Uh, Hess tells her no, while grabbing her and picking her up and taking her away. She cries that he's alive and that she hates him as he continues shouting no and taking her away from there. They are walking back. She begins to run, not allowing him to touch her for a moment. He grabs her in and to embrace her. With the fire roaring in their living room, Ganja wonders why she is always cold. He doesn't know. She wonders if he's always cold. If he's always cold, and what did he do about it? He is always cold, but he just got used to it. She asks about what, uh, what he's reading. It is the guide to their destruction, a solution. He reads an excerpt from Helga, fourth queen of Etheria. Quote, if you worship any god whatsoever, and if you believe this god to be good, if this god should trust to be destroyed by forces dangerous to the survival of love, and if the implement by which this god was destroyed, for this is the symbol of destruction of life. Does cast a shadow on the heart, then he shall release he shall be released into the bosom of his creator. For saving suffered for oh, for having suffered and taste the blood of the womb of nature, you may sleep in her lap forever. Amen. End quote. This shit, man. Like the whole this whole thing of her trying to figure out like what the fuck is happening to her. And not mm-hmm. understanding. And this is great. This is really, really great. She questions, she questions if the shadow of the cross is near. Um, excuse me. If the shadow of the cross is near, their heart will destroy them. He answers that the cross is an imp- implement of torture and that, that, uh, shadow is darkness it casts. Nothing being, he- being able to survive the shadows. Cut to Luther's church just straight up popping. Bro, his <laughs> church is a fucking club, my dude. Yeah. Like, it is popping in there. It's, it is like everybody's dancing and singing and gyrating, speaking in tongues. <laughs> and, man, god damn. Hess pulls up to the church going inside. The song ends. Luther giving his sermon about him being high on Jesus. I'm a high on Jesus. <laughs> you know, I'm high right now. <laughs> it's like, his church. Church, listen up. I'm high right now. <laughs> I'm high on Jesus. <laughs> the song, oh, uh, claiming that he's go- not going to uh, let evil come inside there. Then they all um, start cutting all types of rugs. They start dancing again out of fucking nowhere. It's great. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. This shit makes me miss black churches because they are genuinely like this. Like they, they are 100% like this. And it is Seems like it. so much fun. But goddamn, are they long? They're like three <laughs> hours long. 
And they're yeah. just like, and they're doing this for three hours. And I'm just like, I can't, I, I can't do that for three hours, bro. Nah, it's fun for like the first hour and you're just like, I'm okay. I'm done. I, I, I cannot <laughs> sing anymore. I cannot hold this fucking hand fan anymore. I need to go. <laughs> I need to go. He claims the congregation or he calms the con- congregation down asking if anyone will would like to be prayed for. Nobody comes up right away, so they start a new song. Hess walks down the aisle to receive prayer from from Luther. And I even put here, like, on second thought, this brings back so much uh, PTSD for myself. And, like, I started getting so triggered at this part because, like, God damn. Like, I remember all of this. And it's just, it's one of the reasons why I'm agnostic now. (laughs) (laughs) They they all continue singing around them as Hess kneels uh, and Luther continues uh, laying hands on him. Touching and rubbing Hess's head. He's um, he's sweating, but accepts it all from Luther. Smiling and getting up with his hands raised as Luther repeats, In the name of Jesus! Asking Hess (laughs) how he feels. He walks away smiling. Hess is running through a field as the church continues singing until it fades. Excuse me. He continues running in ecstasy with his shirt undone. Um, and I love the mixture of two religions clashing here because you have yeah. like these chants from uh, the Metherian um, woman, and then you have pretty much the prayers as well. It's it's so mesmerizing. Mm-hmm. Hess is sitting down and crying in his now empty living room a cross hanging in the middle of the room the shadow casted overhead Ganja dressed in all black he pleads for her to come with him laughing before looking up in shock getting out of out of his chair with a double exposure of the cam- of of the camera running through the field he he smiles and receives his fate as the man continues speaking in tongues panic gasp and wailing as he hits the floor flashes of george's of george's suicide accompanied with the with the whales the cross swinging overhead as the frantic whales continue this shit was a little like much with the wailing yeah. but I, I, I felt it. <laughs> he, uh, Hess motionless on the floor, the wind, the wind blowing in the leaves, leaving Ganja to stare at the cross. An ambulance siren blares as it screeches into the estate. Ganja waiting outside as the EMTs rush out of the van. One of the workers, uh, hear what his name is, uh, or one of the workers ask what, what her name is, um, or what, excuse me. One of the workers asked what his name is, his age, and if he if he called the doctor when he was sick, and if he found out if he has died. She tells him his name, age being 38, and that uh, she did in fact call the doctor, and the doctor knows that he is in fact dead. That um, That's enough for him, and they go and take him away. She watches- She's like, okay. She's like, Okay, that's all I need. All right, here we go. She watches as they as they place him in the back of the van. Back inside, looking out of the window at the pool, she sees a splash from the pool, and the naked party guest just starts fucking running towards her, dangling, swinging the whole nine, jumping over. How long are you holding your breath? <laughs> Bro, jumping over Archie's body and shit. Like, this poor Archie's just dead in the backyard. Just like, what the fuck? Oh, like, man. damn. She smiles because now it's a porno. Then, credits <laughs> to these kids singing, like a choir of children singing. Like, wow. What a fucking yeah. movie, though. It like, was, uh, it was something unique. Definitely unique. Um, and, yeah. and I appreciate that. I appreciate the uniqueness behind this film and I appreciate the way that this film is shot and, and then the ambition behind this yeah. film. 
that's what I, totally. I very much appreciate. I appreciate how ambitious this film is. And I, I very much enjoy that aspect of this, of this movie. Um, and the reason why we even finished it so quickly is because that church scene was literally 20 minutes of them dancing with everybody. Not even yeah. fucking kidding. Like it, they were dancing and singing and the whole sermon aspect worked was 20 minutes long. Like, yeah. Like I wasn't I said, writing I, all that down. <laughs> and I don't mean this to be a diss, but I think you can take away all of the dialogue from this film and still grasp what's happening throughout the right. story. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But damn, dude, what a what a fucking movie. I got I think I got some movie facts for us here. <laughs> movie facts. The film was released theatrically several times by different distributors and under different titles. Oh, that explains it. Initially released as Ganja and Hess by Kelly slash Kelly Jordan Enterprises since 1973, it failed at the box office and was then picked up by Heritage Enterprises. Heritage re-edited the film and released it under the title Blood Couple later that same year. This version included 15 minutes of footage not used in the original release print, despite being 33 minutes shorter overall and was marketed as a black exploitation film. This same cut was released in theaters by Goldstone Films as Double Possessions in 1975. Mm. Interesting. Um, Marlene Clark said, quote, I love working with Bill Gunn because he was so imaginative, creative, and totally committed to the material. Gaja and Hess was his dream, his vision, and there was, there wasn't a thing he wouldn't do to make it work. And in the process, he brought people together. Film crews had been traditionally all white, yet there was a crew that was totally mixed and their devotion to Bill and to what he was trying to say was really quite impressive. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I really like hearing that. And not only that, but that's in the 70s. So that's great to hear. Yeah, that's really, really great to hear. Star Marlene Clark said the first time she saw the movie was was at opening night screening in New York. Um, Quote, there was a splashy party afterward. And being the lead actress, I was pretty much the the star of the party. She said in an she said in an interview, nothing like like that had ever happened to me before. It was wonderful. The bubble burst the next day, however. Then almost every New York critic panned the film. When I read the reviews, I thought they didn't get it. Clark remembers. Many critics believe the black people make very straightforward literal movies, so Bill was really an enigma to them. They just did not understand what he do- what he had done. It never found much of an audience, but a number of industry people saw it, especially in New York. So I was offered some more um some other movies. Damn. Damn. So like this movie was not received well when it yeah, first okay. was released. And that's fascinating could, to even think about. I could yeah, I could see how it could be jarring for people. I can as well. Um, yeah. But it also takes... I also take what she says um, quite important as as well because like like I said black exploitation films were the thing it was a very much in your face no metaphors it was quite literal like yeah. what you see is what you get with this film um, or yeah. not with this film excuse me with with black exploitation films but with this film like it, it definitely like you said like there's pieces of dialogue that feels like I need to fucking be in school to understand like <laughs> what this dialogue is just trying to say to me right now so yeah. it's super fascinating though. But damn. Anyway, we definitely want to keep this conversation going because 
I want to keep this conversation going because I I I enjoy this movie. I, I really enjoy this movie. I think it's very art artistic, and I I feel like a lot of people who enjoy film in general need to see this movie because it is definitely one of those films that I feel like should be in the same conversation as like The Exorcist and things like that, and The Shining and all that stuff. I feel like it deserves to be in the same conversation with those. Um, this is definitely a good film to uh, have interpretation conversation about and it's hearing different uh, analytical point of views. I think this film like fosters that conversation very well. I agree. I very much agree. But you can definitely keep this conversation going over at nightlight underscore pod, or you can uh, head to our Discord, which is in the show notes. You can definitely hang out with us in there. A lot of fun shit happens inside this Discord. Talking about movies and shit, hanging out. We're actually going to be doing um, our, I, I gosh, maybe, maybe we should do it for the, the, the next episode. Our first live uh, podcast. Oh, wow. I, 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 maybe we should do it for the next episode. I feel like that would be a lot of fun. But the next month, we are going to be covering films that only have portrayals of witches. So Whoa. excited. Yeah. That is exciting. Because it is the spring equinox for Wicca. And why, what, what better way to celebrate our Wicca queens with something such as the season of the witch month? Starting with the film, The Lords of Salem. Fuck yeah. (laughs) But this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we had David. Stay spooky, everyone. Always and forever, also known as Nightly. Our efforts to get the show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish night. Rating us with five stars is very helpful on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they would. Yay! My pleasure on Patreon. You've access to this show ad-free and as early as Monday with a post-show. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight.